What a privilege it is to be in the Church of God with people that are serious-minded, and I view this flock this way. Those hymns we just got done singing that last one, it's a sober song, very theologically accurate, and we have a congregation here that isn't given to frivolity. They're given to singing those kinds of hymns. And when you go through a book like Romans and then you go through a book like Revelation that speaks highly of a congregation because those are not lightweight books. And this is certainly not a lightweight text tonight in Revelation 18. We're going to read the text as we go through it tonight. Before we begin our journey, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word and we thank you for your people who are out to partake of it. We pray that you would minister to our minds and hearts as we work our way through this remarkable passage that you've inspired for us in this book of Revelation. We thank you for each person who's here. We pray your blessing on our time tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you cannot read the Bible without seeing the name Babylon. Babylon is the second most named city in the entire Bible other than Jerusalem. And you cannot read Jeremiah 50 and 51 and Revelation 17 and 18 without concluding that there's going to be a city in the future that is named Babylon that is going to be destroyed suddenly just before Jesus Christ returns. And I think that is a literal city. I take the position this is a literal city of Babylon that is located about 50 to 60 miles south of Baghdad, Iraq tonight. I believe it is a literal city for a couple of reasons. First of all, As we cited in your notes, Isaiah 47 and 11 and Jeremiah 51, 8 both say that that city is going to be suddenly destroyed, and that has never happened. That has never happened where Babylon has been suddenly destroyed. In fact, it's still in existence tonight. And also, in this chapter tonight, when we get down to verse 21, what you'll discover is once the city is destroyed, it'll never be found again, and that hasn't happened. Because you can actually take a trip now and go to Iraq and you can actually go to the city. Iraq is a land that sits between the Tigris and the Euphrates. It's a land that has the potential of becoming a very economically productive place of the world. And as we have been discussing Babylon in the last weeks, we've certainly seen that this city gave birth to idolatry and immorality. God considers it to be the place that was the mother of a harlot religion, of harlot immorality, of harlot politics, of harlot economy, and harlot wealth. Babylon is going to become a major city. In fact, I'd say this. It's going to become the capital city of the world with political and economic people who will be headquartered there. Now, last time we were together and we were in the book of Revelation and went through chapter 17, we saw that the political world turned against the religious part of it And now what we discover is God's going to destroy all of it. He'll destroy the political and the commercial elements that are remaining in Babylon. And what we see as we go through this text tonight is after the satanic people and powers have completely united in their hatred against God and in their religious harlotry against God, God is going to completely destroy Babylon. Now the fact of the matter is Babylon has not ever been completely destroyed ever. When Cyrus took power away from the Babylonians in 538 B.C., he beautified the city. In fact, he made it his own headquarters there. And when Alexander the Great took power and took it away from the Persians in 331 B.C., he intended to make Babylon the world capital, but he died at a young age before he could do that. When the Apostle Peter wrote 1 Peter in AD 64, he wrote from Babylon, which we take as a literal city that had a literal church in it at that time. 
And we know the city still exists today, and people in Iraq want it to exist because they want the business that tourists bring to it when they go and see that place. So this is a very literal city. We believe that it's going to be rebuilt and become a key city of political power and political commerce. And there are seven prophetic facts that we want to show you tonight from this text in Revelation chapter 18. The first prophetic fact is this will occur after these things. I want you to notice verse 1 of chapter 18. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Now, this prophetic event is going to occur after these things, which means after the specific chronology of events that have been developing in Revelation have been completed, we finally come to this point. In the context of the tribulation, which began in chapter 6 when... The sealed judgments were open. In the immediate context, this occurs after all the events of Armageddon and also after all the events of chapter 17, just before the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's when this will occur. The second prophetic fact is John saw another angel. That's what he said, I saw another angel. It's interesting because this another pronoun is the same kind of angel that he saw previously. It's another one of those heavenly holy angels, but it is another angel, which does tell us something, too, about what heaven's going to be like. I mean, you're going to be able to spot different things. All angels apparently don't look alike, because if he would have seen an angel that was identical to the other angel that he just got done seeing, he'd have probably said, well, he looked just like that angel. So I couldn't tell you if it was another angel, but by virtue of the fact that he says it's another angel, it is apparently another angel, another heavenly angel that's used at this time in the finale of things. And there are three facts that John brings out about the angel. First of all, he came down out of heaven, out of the heaven. We're talking about the throne of God. So this is another angel at the throne of God coming out of the throne of God. This angel had great authority. And that word authority, exousia, is a word that means he holds a high magistrative governmental responsibility at an extreme mega level. He has a lot of authority as an angel in heaven, and the angel illumined the earth with his glory. That's what we learn also. And the angel's glory was so bright, it lit up the earth. This is happening just moments as we would say, before the Lord is going to return in all of his glory. There's going to be a heavenly lighting up of the sky, and this angel will be critical to that, that shows the world the Lamb is about to come and take over the world. That is not going to be a quiet, silent event. Now, the third prophetic fact is the angel cried out with a strong, loud voice. We read, and he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. The verb cried out is a verb that speaks of a like a screaming. We're talking here about a loud, mega-type booming voice. And there are seven messages. And the first one is, Babylon the great is fallen. That's what he says. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. You do not want to hear an angel from heaven saying, Babylon is fallen. You do not want to hear those words against you. Because if an angel from heaven says that about anything, fallen, fallen is anything, it means it's doomed and it's condemned. 
And the word fallen actually means you're going to destruction. There's nothing you can do to stop it. You're going to destruction. You're going to be fallen prostrate down on the ground. This angel is announcing the moment of complete destruction. And what God's about to destroy here is the political, commercial, religious, immoral world headquarters that's existed throughout all of the ages. Now, the second message is Babylon has become a dwelling place for demons. We see that in verse 2. She has become a dwelling place of demons. You know, we get to look here at what a place would be like if it's controlled by demons. And what we're going to discover is this place has a lot of politicians in it, a lot of world power politicians in it. And this place has a lot of rich businessmen. And this place has a lot of pride. As you'll see, it has a lot of arrogance. It certainly has a lot of immorality. Obviously, as you'll see down through here, they don't care about murder either, deceit or lying. It is a godless place, and that's the kind of place that is controlled by demons. And what we learn here is demons are controlling this city. The third message is Babylon has become the prison of every unclean spirit. We see in verse 2 of every unclean spirit. Now, all demons are unclean, but the emphasis here of these spirit beings is that they are ceremonially unclean and they are immoral and these are spirit beings and they're all headquartered in this city. And what God has basically done is he's allowed this one city to become the place where he has sentenced these demonic powers and spirits for this final destruction that he's going to bring against it. Now the fourth message is Babylon has become a prison of every unclean, hateful beast bird. That's what verse 2 says. And a prison of every unclean, hateful bird. Some manuscripts use the word beasts. Some use the word birds. Some use both. But what it refers to is there's going to be a lot of death here. This is not going to be a nice place. And these predator beasts and birds are going to be there and they're going to be able to devour what's there. Now, the fifth message is Babylon has intoxicated the nations with her immorality. Verse 3, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. All nations of the world have been drunk with the immorality that stemmed from this part of the world. Where does immorality that controls cities and people stem from? It stems from Babylon. It doesn't come from God. It stems from Babylon. Not only is religion filled with immorality... But political world is filled with immorality. The business world is filled with immorality, which brings us to the sixth message. Babylon has influenced the political leaders of the world, and they've committed immorality. And verse 3 says, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality. Many of the political world leaders have been lust-crazed, immoral, sex-crazed maniacs. And after the rapture, that's all the politicians you're going to have left. Because if a politician is a believer, they will have been raptured. If they're still alive at the time that this goes down, they're going to have these kind of character traits. They'll be powerful political leaders, but they'll be given to immorality. The seventh message is Babylon has caused the businessmen of the world to become rich by her sensual and immoral influence. Verse 3 says, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Now, wealth in itself is not a bad thing, but wealth can become a god, and that's exactly what's happened to these people. Sin and greed have been taken over the business entrepreneurship. They have lived the lifestyle of the rich and famous. They have lived sensual lives. And by the way, the world applauds that. The world applauds those rich people of the world who live in this life of luxury. God says, this is the reason I'm going to bring them all down. 
Now the fourth prophetic fact is John heard another voice come out of heaven. And I want you to notice verse 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Now, this heavenly voice commands God's people, and there apparently is going to be a remnant of God's people when this happens who will be in Babylon, and he says, you need to get out of there, you need to get out of there right now. And there are three reasons why God says you need to get out of there. First of all, because you don't want to participate in her sins. There is such a thing in the scriptures as guilt by association. You do not want to be contributing to people that are pursuing sinful, evil things, because if we give or support people that are doing evil, sinful things, we actually, in the mind of God, are sharing in the guilt of what they're doing by supporting that and by sanctioning that. And so God says, you don't want to participate in her sins. Secondly, you don't want to receive her judgment plagues. That's what he says in verse 4, so that you do not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. Now see, just because a person's a believer doesn't mean they can just live life in a swamp and not get the stink of the swamp. If you are on a jet airplane and you're a Christian and that jet airplane's going to crash, you're going to crash with it and die, even if you're a Christian. Now, if somebody told you beforehand, if you get on that plane, it's probably going to crash and you're going to die, and then you're foolish enough to get on the plane, then I guess you deserve the results here. If you are a Christian and you're a Christian who falls in love with the world and you fall in love with the things of the world and then you realize judgment is coming against the world and you refuse to get out of there, you just go along with it, there's the real possibility here that you are going to go down with it. It's just like when God was going to destroy Sodom, he sent the angels in there to tell Lot and his family, you got to get out of here. You need to get out of here now because the judgment of God is coming. And apparently when this is happening, there will be a remnant of true believers that will be there. And at this point in the tribulation, he says, you need to get out of there because we are going to send judgment plagues. If you're still here, when these plagues hit, you're going down with it. Now, the third reason why you need to get out of here is because their sins have piled up and he's remembered them. He's going to pay her back. That's what he says in verse 5, for her sins have piled up as high as heaven. I love that because if you remember from Genesis what the people at the Tower of Babel wanted to do, and it's another reason why I take this literally, is they wanted to build a tower to heaven. That's what they wanted to do. That's why God went down and confounded their language. But God says, oh, you've built something to heaven, all right. What you've piled up is not a tower. What you've piled up are your sins. Your sins have piled up. And God says, I don't forget about it. I don't forget about sins. I don't forget about iniquity. I don't forget about your perversions. And if it's not forgiven, I'm not going to forget it. Now, what we need to understand here is that sin needs to be faced or it's going to be punished. If a person is not willing to acknowledge their sin and then come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there'll come a day when they'll face God and be accountable for the sin. And that is what's happening right here with these God mockers. They're facing God, and now's the time of accountability. Now, the second message is the heavenly voice commands that Babylon be paid back double. Notice verse 6, pay her back even as she has paid and give back to her double according to her deeds in the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I'm not a widow and will never see mourning. 
Now, there are three revelatory facts that are brought out about paying back Babylon double. First of all, pay her back according to what she has paid. We are going to pay her back double for all of the evil that she's ever dished out. God said, I have kept the record of all of it. We're going to pay her back double. Not just eye for eye, two eyes for an eye. Not just uh, tooth for tooth, two teeth for a tooth. We're going to pay her back double. Secondly, give her back double according to her deeds. God said, all right, you want to be paid according to your works? I'm going to do it. I'll pay you back double according to your works. And thirdly, mix the wrath cup twice as much for her. And there are four wrath facts that he brings out. Mix the double wrath cup for her to the degree that she's glorified herself. You see what this person has done or what this system has done, what these people have done, is they have an arrogant pride about themselves. They will not humble themselves to the Lord. They glorify themselves. God hates pride. He hates pride. He hates proud people. I know that's not a very popular message, but that's the truth. He hates a proud look. And he hates those that are proud people. And these people are arrogant and they are proud. Secondly, pay her double wrath for her life of sensuality. That's what he says in verse 7. She lived a life of sensuality. That's immoral sex. She was involved in immoral stuff. Pay her back double for that. Thirdly, pay her back double for the way she tormented people. She caused people to have suffering. And she didn't treat people right. They didn't treat people fairly. We'll talk about that a little later. And mixed double wrath for the mourning she caused. She's caused a lot of people to have a miserable existence. So here she is. She's sitting by just in her arrogance. And she's saying, I'm a queen. And I'm not a widow. I'm happy. I'm not mourning in anything. And ultimately, he's going to pay her back double. It reminds me of the rich man who said, I'm going to build new barns. Man, oh man, I'm making it so big that I'm going to build new barns. I'm going to tear down my own barns and build barns. And God says, you fool. You fool, don't you know, tonight your soul's coming into eternity. Then what do you have? According to verse 8, which says, For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong, and the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensually with her, will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Verse 8 says, Because of what's going on in your heart, I'm going to cause judgment plagues to come against you in one day. And he stresses that, one day. I take that literally. I believe there'll be one day when God is actually going to do everything that he describes here. The plagues will come, the pestilence will come, the mourning will come, the famine will come. She'll be burned up with fire. In fact, I think you could better understand the language here, burned down with fire. Because I think that's what God is going to do. And the Lord God is judging her. The Lord God is the one who judges her, and he's strong. He brings that out. For this reason, God who judges her is strong. God says, I'm doing this. I'm the one who created heaven and the earth. I created things in one day, and I can bring this city down easily in one day. His fourth message is the political leaders of the world are going to weep and lament over Babylon's destruction. Now, the kings and the businessmen have been in cahoots, and they're going to realize that it's all over. They didn't weep when religion was destroyed. 
You remember that was destroyed in chapter 17 when the harlot, the Babylonian harlot and religious system was destroyed. They didn't cry over that. What they are crying about is the fact that their lifestyle that they have been accustomed to that is a lifestyle of sensuality and immorality and lifestyle of wealth, that's all gone. Now what we learn here is that government leaders are closely connected to financial deals all over the world. In fact, what we see here is there's probably government leaders that have secret bank accounts and things we know nothing about. I mean, the connection here between the political leaders and the wealth is just pretty obvious. And so what we would learn from this is that apparently these government leaders are closely connected to these financial entrepreneurs. And what they realize when this all happens is we're all going to lose here. And they are in total fear because they know we're next in line. Which brings us to the fifth message, Babylon's judgment will come in one hour. And I believe that is talking about a literal hour. You see, the tribulation is broken down into years. It's broken down into months. We know that because the Antichrist has 1260 days in which he reigns. It's broken down into days and it's broken down into hours. The Twin Towers in New York, that tower number two at the World Trade Center, dropped in 56 minutes. Gone. There it stood, as tall as any building could ever stand, and in 56 minutes it was gone. Tower number one went down in about 100 minutes, 102 minutes, and it was standing. So you have these two great pillars, and just in a matter of minutes, they're gone. Well, that's nothing for God. That was two jets flying into the towers. This is God himself dropping these things, and he's going to do this in one hour. He'll drop her in one hour. The sixth message is the businessmen of the world will weep and mourn over Babylon's destruction. Now notice verse 11. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory, and every article made from very costly wood, and bronze and iron and marble, and cinnamon and spice, and incense and perfume, and frankincense and wine, and olive oil, and fine flour, and wheat, and cattle, and sheep, and cargoes of horses and chariots, and slaves, and human lives. Now what becomes clear here is that the business mentality of the world is clearly anti-God, and the business mindset of the world is one of nothing but bottom line dollar and profit. That's what these guys live for, and they're living. These businessmen and these politicians are in cahoots, and they are actually living for bottom line profit. And when God decides to destroy Babylon, which is the financial capital of the world at this point, it's going to create problems for the political leaders. It's going to create problems for the businessmen. And there are four observations we want to make. They weep and mourn because no one can buy their cargo anymore. And they list a whole bunch of things in those verses that cover money and jewels and clothing and building materials and food. It covers condiments and toiletry items and wine and cattle and sheep. You have a transportation industry. And then you get down to slaves and human lives. There's stuff that goes on in the political business world where people sell people. Don't kid yourself. This is what God's saying here. There's stuff that goes on behind the scenes. There are people 
that these businessmen, these really wealthy billionaires and these political leaders get into... That's why it's not a shock to hear of the sex trafficking or you hear about some person who's being stolen or drug trafficking. I mean, what really happens in that world is that people are less important than money. And so what that world will do is they'll do whatever it takes to make money. And they'll sell people to make money. In fact, it happens kind of in some respects in our own lifetime. We've somewhat experienced it because you take a sports team that's bought by somebody else. They basically have bought the players. They own them. Or you take a company that you used to work for that you work for and that company was bought by some other company. They owned you. I mean, you had no say in that. They basically own you. That's what rich people want. That's what billionaires want. They don't want to use their resources for the glory of God. They just are bottom line profit people. So when God says, I'm putting an end to this, that is going to make them weep, weep. They're going to weep at what's happening here. I mean, they're about to lose every possible way and means of making that money that they made. We read in verse 14, the fruit you long for has gone from you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. The merchants of the things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning. The second observation is all the fruit of these rich people, all the things they long for, it is gone. In one hour, financial empires are going to come down and collapse. And what is interesting, at the end of verse 14, you will no longer find them. That's an ume construction in Greek, a double negative, which means it's emphasizing the fact there's no possibility of these people ever becoming rich again. When God brings them down, it's done. They're never going to rebound from this. They're not going to be able to pursue other investments. He's going to topple their little financial empire. The third observation is the rich people will stand at a distance in fear. They're going to be watching this on the news. And they're going to be too afraid to go over there because God is just dropping this place. He's leveling this place. So they realize, man, we've got our bank accounts there. We've got our investments there. We've got all our money there. But they won't dare go to this city to try and even retrieve their wealth. Which brings us to the fourth observation, verse 16, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city. She who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, such great wealth has been laid waste and every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and they were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning saying, what city is like? the great city, and they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she's been laid waste. The rich people will verbally respond to what they see. And this is going to be, I actually believe we're going to watch this in heaven, and I'll explain why I think that in just a minute. This is going to be fun to watch these billionaires do that. I mean, this is going to be interesting to watch these billionaires who just an hour earlier were powerful people making deals and making profit deals and buying and selling corporations, buying and selling people. I mean, just an hour before, and now all of a sudden they've lost it all. And there are 12 responses that these people will give. Number one, they'll say, whoa, whoa. 
What that tells us is they know this is a judgment of God. They know this is a judgment. They can't stop it. Secondly, the great city had wealthy clothing and the great city had wealthy gems. I just find their response amazing in verse 16 when they talk about the fact this was the city that had the fine linen and purple and it had the gold and the precious stones and pearls. I mean, these guys are still thinking about the loss of wealth. They're about to lose their own soul to the Lamb. They're about to be condemned forever to eternal damnation, condemnation. And they're thinking about the wealth they've just lost. You know, over the years, I've had the privilege of being by the bedside of many who are about to go into eternity. And fortunately for me, most of the bedsides I've been at have been believers who love the Lord. I have yet to hear one of those believers in their final hours of life say, you want to know how much I have in the bank? I've yet to hear one of those believers say, hey, let me tell you how I invested my money. I haven't heard that at all. Why? They're going to leave it all here. They're not concerned about that. They're concerned about the fact that they're going into eternity to face the Lord. They're about to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. These guys are in a situation where they're about to go up against the lamb who's coming out of heaven. They know he's going to be coming out of heaven. They're still thinking about the fact We've lost our bank accounts. Which brings us to the fourth purpose. The great city has fallen in one hour. And again, I think that is, again, indication this is literal. I think it's a literal one-hour thing. The fifth response is the city was laid waste. Every shipmaster kept their distance. Every traveling passenger stayed away. Every sailor stayed away. Every person who made a living from the sea stayed away. So they're still thinking. They're watching this go on. They're still thinking about their money and their economy, and they're not thinking about God. And they're crying out, crying out as they saw the smoke of the city. Grown billionaires, grown billionaires crying. Why? Our money's gone. Boy, we invested our life in the money, and it's gone. They put dust on their heads, and they mourn. And they say again, whoa, whoa, the great city has fallen in one hour. They're basically saying, we have just lost everything. Now, the reason why I think we're going to see this is because of message number seven. All in heaven are to rejoice. Notice what you read in verse 20 of chapter 18. In verse 20, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. What we learn here is that people in heaven, they're not weeping about this. They're not crying over this. They're not mourning over the loss of the wealth. In fact, John said, I saw this. I saw this. And the saints can rejoice. The apostles can rejoice. The prophets can rejoice. So you have three groups of people that are specifically named here, and they can rejoice, and they can rejoice because this is the judgment of God. This is God doing that. Let me ask us a, just a kind of a private personal question tonight. If you saw... God destroy this world, would it cause you to weep or rejoice? Because what you have here is you have two different groups of people. The people in heaven, they're rejoicing. The people on earth, they're weeping. They're weeping. They're weeping because of the fact they've lost it all. 
The fifth prophetic fact is a strong angel took up a huge stone and cast it into the sea. Notice verse 21 we read, Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer, and the sound of the harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer, and nor craftsmen of any craft will be found in you any longer, and the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer, and the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, because of all the nations were deceived by your sorcery, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. This strong angel takes this big stone and he basically is giving an illustration here of what's going to just happen right now to Babylon. He catapults that stone and he throws that stone into the sea. This is a prelude moment to Babylon is done. And the sixth prophetic fact is she will be annihilated never to be found again. Now that's why I think that this is prophetic and I think it's literally Babylon. It has not happened yet. Because you can still travel to Babylon. There are about 250,000 people that live in the city of Babylon tonight in Iraq. And you can go there and you can see the ruins of it. And ultimately, I think this is a description here of what's going to happen somewhere after the rapture or before the rapture. This is going to become a major economic player of the world. Probably oil will be the issue that will do it. And the business entrepreneurs and the politicians, they're making deals. I mean, you do have to ask yourself this. Why is it? Right now in the United States, when we have our own oil supplies that we can use, why aren't we using that? What's going on? Who's making deals overseas with other nations for oil stuff when we could produce our own and actually help our own people in the United States? Why are these deals being made with these nations overseas? Because of this right here. This is all setting the stage for what God is going to do. What's interesting is there are a list here of Four different types of musical things that he brings up, which I find fascinating, because he said, when this goes down, there'll be no more harpists, there'll be no more musicians, there'll be no more flute players, and there'll be no more trumpeters. I mean, Don McLean used to sing a song called American Pie, this will be the day the music dies. And I don't think it's a coincidence that musicians... And musical instruments are mentioned here because this has both secular and religious application. There has undoubtedly been a satanic seduction that has come through music that's influenced the world with different musical instruments. And there's also been a satanic seduction that has now infiltrated the church. And they're bringing these things into the church. God says, I'm going to destroy it all. I'll destroy every musician and the instruments that weren't honoring me and weren't glorifying me, and it'll never be heard again in this part of the world. I'll wipe them all out. Then he says, also, there will be no craftsmen of any trade. There will be no mills operating. There will be no light, and there will be no weddings. In other words, I will see to it that anything that they thought was normal life is completely obliterated. And the final fact that he brings out is Babylon is responsible for satanic deception and murder of God's people. He said, I'm holding her accountable. 
The text says, I hold her accountable for the blood of the prophets and of the saints and all who've been slain on the earth. The place where God says this all started, where people hated me and hated people who loved me and hated people who loved my word was right here in this part of the world, and I'm holding them accountable, and I'm going to punish them. Now, you and I are living in a world of greed, and we are living in a world of immorality. And Luke tells an interesting account of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was addressing the subject of finances in Luke chapter 12. And in his address on the subject, he said to his own people, be on guard against every form of greed. Be on guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. It is so easy in this world to get sidetracked in something that doesn't mean anything. I mean, the fact of the matter is there's nothing wrong with what God gives us. He gives us good things in life to enjoy. We should be thankful for what God gives us. We should honor God with all that he's given to us and praise him. But it's so easy in this world to just start leaving him out. And if you leave God out, this idea of greed can take on various forms. And it can end in disaster. The truth of the matter is, everything that we are and everything that we have, it'll end in ashes. I mean, when it comes time for us to leave this world, what are we taking with us? That song is right. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What you see here is you see a system of religion, a system of politics, and a system of business that left God out. And God said, I'm going to bring it to nothing. That's what will happen to Babylon in Revelation 18. Let's pray. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, I want you to clearly understand this point tonight. God is not just going to forget about your sin. He won't forget about it. He remembers every sin you've ever committed. The only way to have that slate clean is to have Jesus Christ in your life. So you believe on him and you'll be saved. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you for biblical prophecy. We realize we are living in exciting times in many ways, Lord. We see clouds forming for many of the events that are described right here in this book of Revelation. I pray we would be wise people of God, sober-minded people, people who develop sound minds. Lord, I pray we'd have sound faith. For anything that you've done here tonight, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.